0: Hi, I'm Carl. Welcome to my pod, The Finder-Outerer. I'm out here in the Suffolk countryside because this is a Suffolk-based investigative journalism podcast. Um, Now, don't get me wrong, obviously, this is no Phylon 4, but but it is as good, if I'm honest. Um, In fact, my main aim for this show is to not only have the distinguished journalistic gravitas of, you know, Phylon 4 or The One Show but also the laugh-out-loud humour of Noel Edmonds and, most importantly, the hard-nosed, uncompromising investigative nous of Dom Littlewood. Let's not muck about. Here's what I'll be finder-outering about in this podular cast. I'll be presenting you an incredible report on the history of Framlingham Castle, which, if I'm honest, probably puts Simon Sharma to shame. The most impressive thing about the castle is that it's really, really old. In fact, it recently achieved a personal best for how old it is. I interview a
1: crazy local character. A lot of people call me a conspiracy theorist, which is wrong. Uh, I think they've just been paid to say that by the masons.
0: And expose what I'm calling the massive UK crisis. It's my belief that there's a direct correlation between this kind of multi-pack misuse and declining moral standards someone needs to fight back. But first, I reopen the Rendlesham files and allow you to jump ears first into the world of space aliens from space. Or, you know, whatever. This week, I'm here in Suffolk's very own Roswell, Rendlesham Forest, to investigate one of the county's most enduring mysteries. The story goes that in 1980, an alien came from its hometown of Jupiter or whatever and naturally made a beeline for some mixed woodland in Suffolk, as you would. Is it made up nonsense or is it factual nonsense? I intend to find out and I think I know exactly where to start looking. Ever since the internet became available online, it's gone from strength to strength hosting everything from Ronnie O'Sullivan's Wikipedia page to Ronnie Barker's Wikipedia page. It's got it all. In the words of Carol Vorderman, it makes CFAX look pants. I knew that the World Wide Web would probably offer the answers I'm looking for. Well, I asked about the Rendlesham incident on what, for my money, is probably the most reliable uh, Facebook conspiracy page, and I can't believe the response. I've been I've been inundated uh, with, with with two responses. Apparently, the, the the rumor is that the Rendlesham alien never left the region. It's been sort of dossing about since 1980, and is currently hiding out. Uh, let's have a look. Yeah, in a Felixstowe leisure centre. Would you believe? Um, yeah, I I think this is definitely worth investigating further. Most recently, locals have raised concerns that this alien invader may have started mucking about in a blatant contravention of leisure centre rules. Shockingly, there's even a suggestion that it might be dodging council tax. My plan was to confront this extraterrestrial squatter and on behalf of planet Earth, ask it plain and simple. What are you playing at, mate? Seriously, what are you playing at? Well, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be any bother or anything. I don't see what the problem is. But, yeah, metaphorically okay, I, I speaking, that, but I, my investigation has literally no, fallen I, at the first hurdle. Okay, yeah, no problem. Uh, right, okay, that was the leisure centre on the phone there. They are refusing to allow me access um, to investigate. Yeah, I, I'll be honest, this isn't going well, and I think I know why. If you've watched as much X-Files as I have, you'll know that the success of any paranormal investigation depends on closely working with Gillian Anderson. To that end, I attempted to reach out to Gillian through her agent and see if she wanted to team up. Okay, and what... So she personally said that, did she? Oh, she did. Oh, okay. It was at this point that I discovered I'd effectively been blacklisted by her management. Perhaps by mistake perhaps due to a series of bizarre fan letters I sent her in 2016. I forget which, and I don't believe the distinction's important. So obviously the the, the Gilly Anderson stuff is a a little bit of a setback, but I have received an anonymous email that more than makes up for it. Uh, I've got here an image someone sent me, uh, which is probably the clearest photographic evidence of the Render alien that anyone's ever seen. Uh, Yeah, I, I I think it's time to bring in the big boys. When we talk about aliens, we talk about the search for extraterrestrial life. Amazingly, TV physicist Professor Brian Cox agreed to offer his expert opinion on the photo I'd received. For listeners not aware of Brian Cox, he's essentially a jumped-up science teacher with hair from the 90s. Unfortunately, after accidentally calling him Sarah Cox on 17 occasions, Brian told me to, quote, get my act together and terminated the interview. He later sent me a curt email, refusing permission for me to use any of our Skype conversation. I deeply regret the way that our interaction went. So, as way of apology to the Cox camp, I later made a small donation in Professor Cox's name to the Lance Armstrong Foundation. Um, well, this latest setback, I'll be honest, it's it's given me time to think. You know, what what if I got this all wrong? What if the Rendlesham alien came here because their home planet is really rubbish? Uh, You know, it doesn't even have things like Sky Q or Crufts. I mean, I couldn't even imagine a a world like that. I, I mean, what if he just wanted to start a better life for himself here on Earth? You know, where we have loads of good stuff like Shirley Bassey or Toblerone or, you know, other things. Who am I to judge? Um, yeah. I've decided to call off my investigation and in the words of Paul Macca McCartney, just, you know, let it be. Right, I'm gonna go get some beans on toast. Ugh. Now, since we just heard about Rendlesham there, uh, I thought I'd take to Twitter and ask you if you've ever had any alien encounters. So we have had a few replies, which is great. Uh, so, um, we've had Jill in Coddamham says, uh no. OK. Uh, Jim in Stowmarket says, n- no, as well. Uh, Al in Otley says, I have never had an alien encounter. It's just another no. Um, yeah, that would, uh... Let's have a look. This isn't really what I. Uh, we've had Pacific Insurance says dear valued customer we I oh know that's that's something else. Um, yeah, and, and Bob in Wickham Market. Let's guess he yes he says no. Um, right. I. I, I don't don't know why I bother sometimes. Useless. You're listening to the Finder Routerer. THE FINDER <coughs> This is a humble packet o' crisps. When combined with a few more packs of its fried potato comrades, you're talking multi-pack. Now, if you were to legally purchase one of these multi-packs from a reputable supermarket, that would be fine. In fact, you'd be so well stocked on golden salty snacks, you'd literally laugh. But what if multi-packs aren't just being purchased for domestic use? What if some are bending the rules and committing crisp criminality? What I'm referring to is the Great British Crisp Crises. Let me explain. Now, I'm here in my kitchen to find this. So, yeah, if you take some packets of crisps... And look very closely at the small print, you should find this legally binding phrase. Part of a multi-pack not to be sold separately. But what if these little fellas are being sold separately, in a blatant contradiction of crisp rules? It may make you physically sick to hear that I've received reports of corner shops up and down the county doing just that. It's my belief that there's a direct correlation between this kind of multi-pack misuse and declining moral standards. Someone needs to fight back. I've decided it's crunch time for these corner shops. I'm going undercover to expose this racket, literally putting my life on the line. Because at the end of the day, when you think about it, if these shopkeepers are willing to disobey crisp packet rules, it chills me to think of what else they'd be capable of. Uh, I'm here outside one of the corner shops that I've been warned about. I'm just about to go in. Uh, I'm disguised as a leading crisp expert, and that's basically just to give me the perfect cover to ask some very probing crisp questions. Um, Actually quite clever when you think about it. Um, Anyway, here we go. I'm going in. Hi there, I'm, I'm, I'm just a run-of-the-mill crisp expert, nothing, nothing to think twice about. <laughs> okay, OK. The covert recording device I'm using yeah, no, no, is secretly I'm, I'm, and inconspicuously concealed I'm, in a large just taxidermied just otter, yeah, complete with riverbank diorama. Nice, uh, nice selection of crisps you got here, fella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although this allows my recorder to be well hidden, exactly why I would be carrying such an item into a shop and why the otter had a microphone uh, yeah. protruding from its mouth was very unclear. But this issue only occurred to me much later. i tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll just pop this otter down here for a moment. There we are. Nonetheless, um, nothing I mean, was just going just to stop me from forward. getting the job okay. done. Look here, Chief. Um, I'm a crisp expert, yeah. There's, there's nobody else here. This is just between you and me. I'm nobody recording this conversation. Why, why would they be? Um, so so just, just tell me straight, where would you get these babies from, Hmm we talking shop-bought multi-pack? or Although you can't see this, when I asked that question, he sort of nodded. And if he denies it, well, he's just talking complete toffee. That, 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 that was really a yes, wasn't it? But, but, but don't just nod. Clearly say yes. Um, preferably into the mouth of the otter, if that's all right. Uh, well, well, I didn't nod. Oh, did you? No. Oh, did no, you not? not? Oh, sorry, I thought you... It kind of looked like a nod, really, didn't it? Having obtained the evidence I needed for the sake of my own safety, I legged it. At that point, if my cover had been blown, who knows what this man would have done to me. I had heard stories that he fiercely guarded his patch or corner, even resorting on one occasion to shoving a man quite hard. Even though this story wasn't true, it still terrified me. Uh, so, while um am putting this report together in the, the editing bay just now, uh, I've made a bit of a discovery. So, uh, when I... Here we go. When I asked if he was selling multi-packed potato snacks separately, my microphone picked up this. Where'd you get these babies from? Hmm? We talking shop-bought multi-pack? Now, if you boost the audio a little, things become a little bit clearer. Uh... There you have it. An affirmative-sounding grunt. Clearly this man's primitive, guttural equivalent to the word yeah, ya, or "yaha." Considering the question he'd just been asked, it's damning stuff. I've deliberately excluded the name of both the shop and her keeper in order to prevent this report conflicting with any investigation that MI5 would like to perform. Of course, only with my full permission, And involvement, uh, perhaps in a leadership capacity. I've now submitted my findings to the authorities in a dossier titled Crisp Crime, The Silent Villain. And because I don't really know what that means, I've also included the subtitle Crunch Time, the multipack under attack, brackets healing a nation in decline. I must point out that I recently discovered splitting multi-packs to be sold separately is in fact not illegal, which has put the dampeners on this report quite a bit. Uh, Nonetheless, I still consider the issue to be one of the great crisp crises of modern times. So remember, when purchasing crisps, always check the packet and don't just be smart, be snack smart. We all know that multinational corporations pay their senior staff obscene amounts and, naturally, have eye-watering operational costs. So it stands to reason that they need money more than other organisations. That's why I'm proud for this week's podcast to be sponsored by the Corporate Relief Fund, a charity looking to raise billions in donations from the public to prop up the profits of only the most massive firms on the planet. They need your cash... In fact, money has been so tight for some of these multi-billion dollar outfits, they've been forced to make huge cutbacks on things like employee working conditions and tax. Think about it, when you can't even afford to allow your staff toilet breaks during a grueling 14-hour day, considering how little that would actually cost, you're clearly in need of extra funds. As if you didn't need any more incentive, those donating over $5 million to the cause will be personally invited to our end-of-the-year donors ball, where the heads of all the corporations involved, plus a few senior politicians, will thank you in person and chat with you privately, off the record, totally free of any regulation or public scrutiny. The Corporate Relief Fund, Raising huge sums of cash for those who know how to handle it. The finder out a, raw. <clears throat> uh, a few of you have been asking me who my journalism heroes are. Um, now, y- y- you might expect me to say someone like Bob Woodward, um, and while I think Watergate was all right, I honestly believe it pales in comparison to the work of Matt Allwright, my journalism idol. Um, Just occurred to me, if if you're listening outside of the UK, you might not know who Matt Allwright is. Um, He's basically our version of Oprah Winfrey, Um, but if she wasn't a chat show host and investigated dodgy tradesmen, uh, and was British, and was a 51-year-old man, and and used to be on Rogue Traders. Yeah. You're listening to the Finder Outer app. Now, here's an interview that I recorded a few weeks ago with a wacky local character.
1: Right, well, let's see. uh, Revolutionary, freedom fighter, voice of the oppressed, underground podcaster and survival expert. And garden centre worker. Well, yeah, sure, I work in a garden centre, but I don't let it define me. After
0: hearing about an incredible story of survival, I've come to a garden centre in Felixstowe to get the story first hand.
1: A lot of people call me a conspiracy theorist, which is wrong. Uh, I think they've just been paid to say that by the Masons.
0: This is Tony Flack. He moved to Suffolk three years ago to escape persecution by the authorities in his homeland.
1: You speak out against Oldham Council, you don't last long. Um, No exaggeration to say I'm essentially a high-profile political asylum. Seeker.
0: He's now settled oh, in Trimley St Mary.
1: And all I'm saying is, if you look really, really carefully at the moon landings, it's clearly fake because neither Wallace nor Gromit is wearing a spacesuit. Think about that. Yeah, right. I, I'm not must really... Must be fake, must hmm. be. And, and, and don't get me started on the clangers. In fact, if you're interested in this kind of thing, I've got a whole uh, podcast you can listen to, Where, although last week was a bit of a disaster. Uh, the guy that I interviewed claiming to be Fidel Castro... I actually turned out to be an imposter, but, you know, how how was I to know?
0: Yeah, I'm more interested in hearing about your um, survival story, maybe a little bit about
1: working in Suffolk, that kind of thing. Oh, uh, on paper, yeah, sure. I'm uh, a garden centre assistant. Unofficially, covert security advisor. Really? Yeah, Yeah, big time, pal. And uh, for anyone listening to this wondering which garden centre I work for, classified information, I'm afraid. ...would like to remind oh. to maintain social distance you,
0: you will cut that out, right? Um, yeah, sure. But just getting back to the reason that I'm here, uh, your survival story. I think it's all time that we, we hear this, uh, from what I've
1: heard, incredible account. Sure, sure. Well, um, you know, th- this is just a prime example of me using my survival skills on the job. Last week, I was fishing a dead crow out of the water butts we got out back. Fell in, nobody noticed, and they looked up for the night. Now most people in that situation would probably panic and perish right there, not me. Uh, I built a tower out of my own clothes which was just high enough to give me the step up I needed to escape. So all of your clothes, so you're now naked, crawling out of a water bath? Exactly, an inspirational story. Um, Suffolk's answer to 127 hours, really. Anyway, survival instinct kicked in, priority one is to stay warm. So I scavenged a pair of overalls from the shelf, ripped them up and improvised a cape and makeshift nappy. Now I've just got to stave off insanity and starvation until the morning. Wait, wouldn't there, there would be an alarm system or something set up? I mean, couldn't you just call someone on the outside? No, no, you, you don't understand. That, that That wouldn't be surviving, would it? Anyway, um, remember the dead crow? So did I. Whacked it on a makeshift barbecue, a fashion from uh, one of the disposable barbecues off the shelf. It's not exactly a hairy biker's first-rate feast, but at least I'll stay alive. Uh, then... You know, I am sorry to say this, but in order to survive, I did have to drink my own urine. But what? But there's a there's a drinks machine at the entrance. I mean, you could have just bought a. Yeah, but come on, one fifty for a bottle of Evian. I'm not made of money.
0: (coughs) Local character Tony Flack. There. Um. Hopefully, I'll be catching up with him again in the coming weeks. Um. Although I, I believe he's gone off grid since I recorded that interview, so um, uh, we'll see. Um, anyway, since last week's pod, uh, I have received uh, a bit of listener feedback. Um, now, the people who thought that the first episode was intellectually challenging and generally ace have decided not to get in touch. And, and why would they? They're, they're probably all busy professionals. I have, however, had a small number of negative reviews, which which is fine, um, although all of them contain basic spelling errors indicating these people are confused, disturbed, and very very thick, um you know just mindlessly lashing out at a podcast that probably a bit too sophisticated for them to understand, um which you know I understand must be frustrating uh, in fact i I pity them and um I hope that they get the help that they need. thought I'd just clear that up. Anyway, uh, here's a report about one of the region's most historic historical locations. It's Framlingham Castle. Hello, it's zero nine thirty hours a.m. GMT, and uh, I've just arrived here at Framlingham Castle uh, to find out a little bit more about this historic location uh, built exactly ages ago. uh, In a feature that I'm calling a walk through time. A
1: walk through time.
0: The most impressive thing about the castle is that it's really, really old. In fact, it recently achieved a personal best for how old it is, with no signs of it not getting older in the near future. Also, did you know that there are a number of areas here at the castle not usually accessible to members of the public? but excitingly for a radio vip it seems the staff might be persuaded to open up some of these mysterious rooms unfortunately i've not been granted this access in a clear snub that i actually find to be quite petty i'm here now in the interior courtyard where um you know back in the day it would have been alive with the sound of uh, the sound of ye oldy horses clippity clopping and uh, and let's face it, the plippity-plopping of their waste, uh, there's, there's just no getting around that. Um, but of course, um, this place would also looked very different back then. I mean, um, you know, just for instance, that security camera up there, um, that, that probably would have been wooden um, back in the day, maybe thatched. And uh, you know, the gift shop um, might have been selling different stuff back then, who knows. While the battlements may be old, there's absolutely nothing outdated about the superb toilet facilities. Take it from me, the loos are seriously ace. But to find out more about the castle itself, I spoke to Dr Martin Taylor of the University of East Anglia. Now, Dr Taylor, the, the, the architecture here at Framlingham Castle, you know, it's, it's very impressive. You know, even, even more impressive than a big Tesco's Extra. Um, but with that being the case, you know... Modern-day builders, they might visit here and think that, in comparison, the stuff that they're building is actually a bit rubbish. Uh, Given this, do you you think there's a case to be made for demolishing the castle just to prevent widespread self-esteem issues within the local construction community? Well, uh, Unfortunately, my question was far more interesting than anything Dr Taylor had to say. As such, it's the only part of our conversation which has actually made the edit. Bad luck, Doc.
1: A walk through time.
0: At one point, Framley and Castle was the pad of Hugh Bigard. in his time a feared and powerful man. The modern-day equivalent would be, what, Bradley Walsh? When Hugh decided to join in with the 1173 revolt, Henry II went absolutely bananas. As revenge, he had Hugh's gaff trashed, probably having a huge effect on the resale value of the castle. Seriously, estate agents were probably like, you know, I, I can't sell that, it's in ruins. You know, something like that. I've always considered Henry II to be uh, a solid bloke, uh, or to put it another way, a top geezer. Um, but I don't know, <laughs> this just seemed like it was a step too far. At the end of the day, Hugh Bigger took a shot at the big boy and paid the price. A story of betrayal and revenge that I deeply relate to. This is my badminton group. In the summer of 2018, I convinced Gina Mavis that Bernie was taking the group in an unsatisfactory direction. Bernie wanted us to meet once a week, whereas I thought twice a fortnight would be more convenient. Bernie wanted to give Jean time for her hip to fully heal, whereas I wanted to resume play ASAP. We were at loggerheads. Then a plan started to form. I secretly texted Jean and Mavis and invited them to join a revolution. I bravely talked the ladies into backstabbing Bernie and called for a vote of no confidence. In a shocking, almost Shakespearean turn, Jean and Mavis voted against me and I was forced from the group, later replaced by Jean's friend Doris, a retired dinner lady who to be fair did have a cracking underarm technique. So you see, I can relate to Hugh Biggard and the history of Framlingham Castle on a level that normal members of the public can only imagine. Uh, You'll be happy to know that I have since torn the badminton group to shreds on the local village Facebook page. So there you have it. I hope you've enjoyed this walk through time.
1: A walk through time.
0: There you have it. Another monumental podcast of eye-slash-mind-opening reports. Next week, I'll be looking at an enduring mystery. We have Indian, Chinese, Thai plus fish and chip. But why no Welsh takeaways in Suffolk? And I'll be jumping into the funky world of fashion, with a light-hearted feature where I try and revive the popularity of the cape, proving that as a presenter, I am adaptable, warm and fun, actually and that the feedback I received from my Good Morning Britain presenting audition was utter cobblers, probably written by someone promoted beyond their abilities due to an administrative oversight. Anyway, thank you for listening, and remember, stay vigilant, Suffolk. Stay vigilant.